Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Feel free to stand for the reading of the word. Uh, we're going to go into the book um, of Psalms, specifically Psalm 62, verse 1 through 8. Give everybody a second. And I believe the Sky Bible is behind me. It will be. Uh, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock in my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Salah. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Salah. This is the word of the Lord. I love that word, selah. means pause. Selah. Pause. Let's do that right now. Why don't you join me in prayer? Close our eyes. Bow our heads. Lord, we pause in this moment to remember you, to think about you, uh, to give our hearts to you, and uh, to ask you to move in and among us here in these next few moments. Lord, as we look to your word, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you change our lives through the power of your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Can I say that? Merry Christmas. Hey, in two weeks, super excited. Uh, we're going to have our kids' Christmas program. Our kids' Christmas Sunday is right here in two Sundays. And guess what? We got a petting zoo coming our way. So you have family, friends, you have kids in your family neighborhood. Invite people to come in two weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. And they're going to have a petting zoo. And that's also the day we're going to be receiving this, the beginning of our Christmas offering that we love to do every year. And so today starts our Christmas series. We're calling our Christmas series, All I Want for Christmas is blank. How would you fill that in? I thought I'd have fun with that this week, and I Googled it. You ever Google something just for fun? Like, well, I don't know, this, this is kind of, I'm interested in this. And so I thought I'd find out what Google has to say. And what I found was page after page after page after page after page of Mariah Carey. Literally went on and on and on and on and on. Like, all I want for Christmas is you. It's all about this song. Come to find out she's in, like, a legal battle right now. There's a lawsuit because there's alleged copyright infringement from the song. And so we'll see how that plays out in the coming months. But it's, it's hailed as the anthem. Now it's like the official, unofficial anthem of the Christmas season. So when you hear that song come on the, on the radio, all I want for Christmas is you. 
then that's when the Christmas season begins, which now it can begin because I just sang it. So we're going to have some fun with this title all, all Christmas season long. And uh, what we're really going to do is we're going to go deep inside of our hearts to what we really long for, not just presents and gifts and all that stuff, but what we really long for. And today we're going to talk about a slower life. How many could use a slower life? All I want for Christmas is life just to slow down. Come on, life. You ever convince yourself that once I get through this season, then in the next, oh, then, then it will slow down. You ever find how true that isn't? So we're going to talk about that today. And all I want for Christmas is rest. Because the two go hand in hand. And so we're going to talk about those today. And a few weeks ago, I went away on a little prayer retreat, and I like to do that a couple times a year. And one of the things I was praying and wrestling through at my prayer retreat was, Lord, what kind of church do you want us to be? Who are you calling us to be? This is what came out of it is, I believe Jesus is calling us to be a Jesus-centered, spirit-led, loving community of believers. It's something we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, in the coming months, for sure, But how that applies to us today is I I firmly believe that living a Jesus-centered life allows us to experience his rest. You want to experience true rest, like real rest. I'm talking like inside rest. Then it starts with you placing Jesus at the center of everything we do. So I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you actually today to rethink the habits and the rhythms of your life. And reorient to everything that you do around Jesus, making him the center of your life. We got a lot of demands on us today. We got a lot of responsibilities. Things, everything's pulling us in different directions. And I think that with the demands and even the enjoyment or pleasure of technology these days, the greatest challenge of our day is being present in the moment. This is the challenge for us. To be fully present, to be fully engaged in each moment. You know how much we miss out on in life because we're just not present? This is really one of the biggest challenges of our day. Several years ago, this picture went viral. Maybe you remember seeing this picture. I think it was from one of the royal weddings in London. And so you can see this crowd of people. Everybody's got their cell phone out. They're capturing the moment like we love to do these days, except for one person. Can you see that one person? Can I ask you, who's enjoying this moment more? I love what the caption says on this next slide. It says, this lady comes from a generation that knows how to enjoy the moment. I might not be able to read it, but it's, it's small print there. But it's true. We've created this inability to fully enjoy moments. We got to take a picture of it. We got to capture it. We got to post it because if we don't post it, it didn't happen, right? It didn't really happen. And we miss out on just enjoying moments because we're so caught up and we got to capture it and post it and display it for all the world to see. And I think there's something we can learn. I just love that picture of here's this lady. And, and it just, the internet blew up from this, and it's like old lady is really the only one enjoying this moment, is, is the, some of the things that you saw, you know? And you just could see the joy on her face, right? You know, there's this value statement that we have here at Rivers Church, and it's gear to the young, but lean into the wisdom of the old. 
And we love that because it speaks to generations. Like, we want to be a generational church. But we also want to be a church that young people feel like they can belong here. Like, I, I get this place. I can belong. I'm connected. I like being here. But young people, we got to make sure we lean into the wisdom of the old. And that picture just is really one of those examples of we need their wisdom. That's, I just love that we got a generational church. I love I love our seniors group, and unfortunately, we're saying goodbye to some dear friends. Uh, some have already moved recently, but Jim and Joyce Rowan, who are like the patriarchs of our church, they are moving to be with family in North Carolina this week. We had a farewell for them a couple weeks ago, and it was so fun. We had lots of laughter and singing and worship and praying and lots of tears as we said goodbye to dear friends. And... It was hard. It was bittersweet because it's a good thing that they're going away. But I just love, I love the seniors of our church. And I love that we have a generational church. You know, uh, several years ago, I remember putting my kids to bed. It's when my kids were littler. And I found myself getting very frustrated because my kids were just not listening and they were being super slow at brushing their teeth and flossing their teeth, all that, you know. You know when you're, you're, your kids are little and you have this little regiment you do, you gotta put on your PJs and you gotta go and do all this. And so we're going through the regiment like we do every single night and I'm just getting frustrated. I'm like, what's going on, Jude? Come on, quit messing around. Brush your teeth. What's that? And I honestly, my frustration was growing and I was getting upset, visibly upset at my kids. And I had a moment where I just stopped and I stepped out of myself and I felt very convicted. The Spirit of God just really convicted me in that moment. And, and, and the question was, why are you so upset right now? Why are you in such a hurry? And I realized as I'm processing this moment, I wanted to make sure I got the kids to bed. And it wasn't just because I wanted to make sure they got a good night's sleep. It was deeper than that. I wanted to get it done because I needed to go on to do something else. And so I was trying to check this off the list, hurry, get my kids to bed, because they weren't hurrying. I was frustrated because on my mind, I had something else I wanted to do that was way more important than being with my kids and helping them go to bed. You want to know how important that was? I can't even remember what it was that I was going to do after putting my kids to bed. That's how important it was. But I felt so convicted because it was one of those reminders and it just really showed me a condition of my heart. I live in this place sometimes. Maybe you feel this. This is... This is our society today where we're just kind of skimming along the surface. I got to do this, check out this, get to the next thing. And I'm not fully present in this moment because I'm thinking about what I need to do next. And therefore, I can't be engaged and enjoy a moment with my own kids. Because I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got to go. I got to do this. Do you feel that? You ever feel the pressure, the tension of all that? Isn't it amazing how we can just find ourselves just skimming along the surface of life? Going from this to this to this to this. You know, it's possible to be with somebody and actually not be with somebody. Right? Here's another picture for you. You see these people there? They're all hanging out, but are they together? I know you've seen this before. None of you have ever done this for sure, but you've seen that people do this before, right? It's like they're together, but are they really? That's the interesting thing about cell phones, right? Cell phones, they, they call it the thing that takes you close to those far away from you, but far from those close to you. And cell phones are doing that to us more and more and more. And so here's what we got to do, guys. Here's the solution. I love this quote by this incredible theologian, godly man named Dallas Willard. He says, ruthlessly eliminate 
hurry from your life. This is the key. This is what you've got to do. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Hurry kills joy. Hurry kills relationships. Hurry kills peace in our life. We got this thing called hurry sickness that a lot of people are living with in their life. Maybe you feel it. And if that's you, I especially want you to pay attention today because this is going to really, really help you today. See, hurry isn't just about a a busy life. It's about a busy heart. Uh, A disordered schedule is a sign of a disordered heart. And so we want to order our hearts in the right place. We want to have the priority of our heart to be all about Jesus, putting Jesus at the center of our life, at the center of everything we do. And here's the calling to Jesus, from Jesus. He says this. He says, come to me. Matthew 11 is recorded. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, you, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Will you respond to that call today, and tomorrow, and constantly throughout your day? It's the invitation from Jesus for all of us. Why don't you just ponder these questions for a few moment, moments about, about your life right now. Does the load I'm carrying, does it feel heavy or light? Is my pace in life, is it stressful or is it restful? Do things come difficult to me or easy? Who is teaching me to live my lifestyle? Jesus says, let me teach you. Did you catch that? Jesus wants to teach us how to live our life. And as he teaches us, here's what he gives us. Rest. And not just a physical rest. It's a rest for your soul. I think too many believers are not experiencing the rest that God offers because they're carrying the wrong yoke. We've taken up the wrong yoke. Whether it's our yoke or the yoke someone says we should carry, we're... We're not taking Jesus' yoke. He says, take my yoke. It's light. It's easy. But we find ourselves living with the wrong yoke. This is why we find ourselves feeling tired and weary. And it's not just a physical tired, although that happens, but it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's like emotionally, we're worn out. We're exhausted. We're stressed. We got all this relational tension and conflict going on with friends, with family, with coworkers, and I'm just stressed, constantly stressed about all this stuff going on. And then mentally, we're all getting bombarded with thousands of messages every hour just hitting us. And we're trying to process all these, all the information. We're trying to make decisions. And we come to this place where we have decision fatigue. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you feel that right now. And so it's just, it's constant. So we're not just physically exhausted and worn out, but like, We're emotionally, we're mentally, we're exhausted on the inside. You know, there's four areas of your life that you want to make sure you take care of. You want to grow and you want to make sure that they're healthy and they're strong. It's your spiritual life, your physical life, your mental life, and your emotional life. Those four areas encompass you. And I think it's important to take care of all four areas of your life. 
A lot of Christians, what I've seen, they focus in on their spiritual life and their mental life. But they neglect the other two. We'd like to make sure we're growing spiritually and we're, we're studying the word. We grow mentally or intellectually. We're, we're growing in knowledge, but we're still struggling emotionally and physically because we neglect those areas of our life. Other people, they, they do the opposite of that. We find ourselves in this place where just, we're worn out. Now, here's the deal. The goal is not for you and I to avoid stress. Stress is a part of life. Stress actually helps you and I grow. Do you realize that? You think about what stress does for your body when you start exercising. You start working out. You're stressing your body. You're stressing your muscles. And as you stress them and then rest, your body recovers, your muscle recovers, and then what you do is you go do it again. You stress them and you work out. You exercise, whatever it is you're doing. And as you have that rhythm of stress, rest, stress, rest, you build muscle. You get in better shape, and that's how you grow physically. And it's the same emotionally and mentally in our life as well. But here's the problem these days. Emotionally, we never have rest. It's like it's stress, 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 worry, 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 worry. What am I going to do? I got to make this decision. Mentally, I'm just overloading all this. I got all these responsibilities. I got this heavy burden. I'm carrying around this heaviness. And it's like stress, 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 go, go. And it's like it never stops. Therefore, we're worn out and exhausted because we never have a period of rest. It's why we can actually sleep for even eight hours or 10 hours at night, wake up in the morning and physically we've rested, but we're not restful because on the inside, we're emotionally, mentally, our soul has not been given rest. We just wake up with the things that are on our mind again. We're stressed and some of us can't even sleep because our mind doesn't shut off because we're so worried. Everything just consumes us. And Jesus is saying this to you. Come to me, come to me. I got rest for your soul. I got rest for you on the inside. It's not just a physical rest. It is a deep inner rest for your soul. You know, people used to say, when you're asked, hey, how's it going? How's life? How you doing? And people would say, oh, I'm busy. Pretty busy. Busy. Yeah, me too. I'm busy, 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 busy. Life's busy, isn't it? Yeah, pretty busy. Now what you hear a lot is, I'm tired. Ask people this week. As you go through your week, hey, how you doing? And just listen. See how many people say, I'm tired. It's like the answer for our generation now. I'm just tired. I'm just, I'm just worn out. If you find yourself in that place, I got good news for you. Jesus offers rest. But what are you going to do about it? It's up to you and I to respond to the call, the invitation of Jesus. What we need is we need different rhythms in our life. We need different habits in our life that are centered around Jesus so we can experience the life that he has for us. You know, there's a saying, practice makes perfect. You heard that before? Practice makes perfect. Well, it's a lie. It's wrong. Because you and I can never be perfect. This side of heaven, it will not take place. But I do believe this. Practice makes permanent. As you practice, you're going to fail. So obviously you're not going to be perfect, but as you practice things, you can grow in becoming better and better at what those things are. So I believe practice does make permanent. I think this is why Paul spoke these words to his disciple, his young protege, Timothy. He said, hey, Timothy, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, 
but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So the truth is, you and I are all, we're training ourselves right now to experience the life that we're currently experiencing. So we gotta make sure we're training ourselves in godliness. And we're training ourselves and, and, and allowing Jesus by his spirit to lead us and help us to recenter, to reorient our life around him so that we can train ourselves to experience what he offers us. And so, remember this, Jesus wants to teach us, right? He wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to live your life. And he can't teach us unless we stop, which means we've got to slow down enough just to stop and to be with him. If we just, every time we've got a moment to ourselves, if we just run to the television and veg for hours, or we go to our phone and we're just scrolling through our phone or just reading the news feed or just listening to the news, all this, if all that's all we do, he cannot teach us And therefore, we miss out on this rest and this peace and this joy that he has for us. So that's why we got to respond to his invitation. His invitation is come to me. Come to me. My burden, it's light. Go ahead, turn on that television. See if that gives you a lighter burden. Go ahead, read the news. See if that makes you feel better about your life and yourself. But Jesus says, I can do that for you. Come to me. And so we got three Jesus-centering practices that help give us rest. I want to give you three practices that I want to encourage you. Do these the best that you can. Grow in them. That's why we call them practices. These are spiritual disciplines. They're spiritual habits, whatever you want to call it. We're developing rhythms in our life. I like to call them practices. Number one is this, silence and solitude. You and I desperately need silence and solitude. And this practice is so anti-cultural. This goes against the grain of what we would hear in a world that just pushes us, keep moving, keep going. You got to keep doing this. You got to keep working. You got to work more. And you got to, you know, you just got to, you got to check this out. Hey, have you been to this place? You got to go visit this place. Have you seen that movie? You got to do this. Have you watched that show? Hey, there's this new 20 episode series on Hulu. You got to make sure you check it. You got to go, 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 go. Do, 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 do. That, that's what our, that's what our society teaches us and speaks to us. And Jesus says, no, just stop. And just come to me, because I got rest for you. And that's what silence and solitude is. It's not about just silence and solitude. It's about coming to Jesus and being with him. You know, it breaks my heart how many times I've heard through the years from people, I can't sit in silence alone. I can't, I can't, I can't do silence. I've heard it over and over and over and over and over again through the years And it does break my heart because of what they miss out on from silence and solitude. This is a practice that you and I desperately need in our life. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but there's probably three main reasons why we don't stop to experience silence and solitude. Number one is fear. Number two is busyness. And number three is no desire. If we're honest, someone was like, I don't don't want to. Okay, that's fine. But fear is a big one. Because here's what happens. People have tried it. They've done it. They know when it's quiet, what happens is their minds brace in. They just, they come face to face with themselves and all their issues and all the stuff going on. I don't want to think about it. So it's easier for us to drown out the internal noise with all this external noise. 
And we never stop to be still and silent. And the other people, they just keep going, go, go, go. I don't want to stop and think about what's going on in my life. I don't want to think about my issues. I don't want to think about the pain, all the stuff I've gone through. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. That's how I deal with this. And we miss out on this incredible gift that God has for us called silence and solitude. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said this. He said, silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does. Throwing us upon the stark realities of our life, it reminds us of death, which will cut us off from this world and leave only us and God. But this is the great news about silence and solitude. Yes, as you stop and you be still uh, before the Lord and with yourself, yes, you're going to come face to face with yourself, with your issues, with all the pain, all the stuff that's going on. But you know what else you're going to find in that place? You are going to find God right there, waiting for you, wanting to speak to you, wanting to help you, wanting to heal you, wanting to restore you, wanting to walk you through those things so they don't weigh you down any longer. I think this is why Jesus said to that church in Laodicea in Revelation, Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and I knock. He says, I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So the call from Jesus is, I'm just, I'm waiting for you to stop and just let me in to your life. Let me come and just be with, with you. I just want to spend time with you. And as you read through the Gospels, maybe you've noticed this before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, all about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that. Uh, look how many times Jesus went off alone by himself to pray and just spend time alone with his father constantly. We need silence and solitude. Hey guys, here's the deal. What you give your attention to determines who you become. Mark my words. What you give your attention to determines who you become. We got to reevaluate right now everything that we're giving our attention to throughout our days because that is determining who you're becoming. Your mind, it's a powerful thing. It's a portal to your soul and it shapes the trajectory of your future and, and your life because the truth is we are what we give our attention to. So here's the key. It, to get really practical here with the silence and solitude, this is the key to practicing silence and solitude. It's really simple. Find a time and a place to enjoy God alone. That's all you gotta do. Pick a time, pick a place. Make a schedule, put it on your calendar, and keep that appointment wherever it is, whenever it is, and just keep going there, keep going there, and enjoy time with God alone. And the key word there is enjoy. Want to do it? Just do something you enjoy. Like you don't have to like read through the Bible in the next month to be a good Christian or to think that God's proud of you or loves you more. No, no, no. Just go read read a little scripture, maybe put on some worship. Pray, read some prayers, journal, journal your prayers, whatever you want. Like, here's the key. Here's the important thing. Enjoy God. Just enjoy being with him. And sometimes it can be difficult as we're processing things he's speaking to us. Like, I got to deal with this. I got to grow in this. But he always does it in love. And in the end, you're like, God, I needed that. That was so good for me. I needed to spend time with you. I'd encourage us every day. Have at least five minutes of silence. Just sit in silence. 
Be with God. Enjoy the Lord. There's this practice called the daily office that we've learned from Pete Scazzaro from his emotionally healthy spirituality stuff that we love around here. And the daily office is basically taking one, two, three, or or more times a day where you just stop to be with God. You can take five to 15 minutes and you be with God. However much time you have, even in the middle of your day, you're at work, you can just stop on your break and just be with God. So what's the goal? What do you do? You just be with God. Again, you can just read a scripture and you can just meditate on it, pray through it. Um, you can just enjoy God. You can put on some worship again. Just, just stop. And basically what we're doing is we're just recentering our heart and our mind and our life around Jesus. And recognizing it's one of those pauses, little sila, sila, pause, right in the middle of the day. God, I need you. I worship you. I love you. God, would you just fill me with your love right now? God, I'm really stressed. My coworker's being an idiot. Lord, would you help me? You know, you can just kind of just pour your heart out and just, just, just rest and be with God. Daily office. I love the practice of the daily office. And practicing this and practicing silence and solitude, guys, I promise you, it's going to bring rest to your soul. You'll experience joy. You'll experience peace. He's going to strengthen you through this. And here's what else he's going to do. He's going to bring greater depth to your life. And that's what we need, is we need more deep people of God. Not shallow people, not shallow Christians. Too many people are living shallow lives. And here's why. It's because we're just living the life that everyone tells us we need to live. But when we stop and we ignore all the noise and put it all away and we just listen and be with God, he can take us into deeper places with him. We need deeper believers, deeper followers of Christ. And it's in these moments that he takes us deeper and he helps us to be deep people. Come on, get rid of that shallow Christianity. Go after him. Spend time with him. Oh. Now, I think instead of focusing on the presence of our problems, we need to focus on the presence of our God. And that's what we're doing. What we need more of in this life is his presence more than anything else. All right, I spent a lot of time on that one, but that's an important one because it's so anti-cultural. I got two more here I want to share that, again, these are practices that are going to help us. Number, one, number two is scripture. Let's talk about scripture. Okay, Jesus, Matthew 4, he's out in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. And it says, Jesus told him, no, the scripture says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus teaches us two things right here in his response to the devil and the temptation the devil is throwing at him. Number one, God's word overcomes temptation. It is powerful. It is a sword that you can use in temptation, but you can't use it unless you know it. Let's read it. Okay, number two, God's word nourishes us like food. Like we don't just need food to live. We need God's word to live. So we learn those two things about God's word. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Hebrews, it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Everybody say powerful. powerful. Do you know that this book is powerful? It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Why? Because it's alive and it's powerful. Psalm 1. You want to uh, live a prosperous life? 
Anybody? You want to succeed in life? Okay, here's, here's Psalm 1. Tells us the key. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Want to prosper in life? Meditate on the word of God day and night. It's just thinking about it over and over again. You're pondering it. You're, you may be memorizing it. You're thinking about each word individually. You can pray through it. God, what are you speaking to me through this? You're just, you're letting the word get in you. You're not just reading it. Let it get in you. That's meditation. And as you do that, you will prosper. You will be blessed as you do that. I love how the Amplified Translation says those three verses. Listen to this. Blessed, which means fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers or ridiculers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted and fed, by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. That's through meditating on God's word, letting it get in you. Practice number three. Number one is silence and solitude. Number two is scripture. Number three is this thing called Sabbath, which is also pretty countercultural. We live in a society that's always working, and they want to convince us we got to keep working, and we got to get more work done, and we got to got to work overtime, and we can't stop working, we can't take days off because our competitor's still working, we got to beat our competitor, and it's like it's like work, 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 just keep doing this. And you ever notice how that so many people live life and they're at work, but they're thinking about home, but then when they're at home, they're thinking about work. It's like work has consumed us. We don't. We've forgotten how to be fully present in the moment. And so Sabbath is one of those things that helps us, again, to be present and to be free from this addiction that is so elevated in our culture today called workaholism. What is Sabbath? What does it mean? I'll give you a definition, but first, let me just say this. To experience a good Sabbath, it does take practice. You, you got to like, experiment. You got to grow. It's, it's something you get better at as you keep doing it. We have good days and we have bad days. Thankfully, we got good ones more than bad ones now as we just institute this. Our family loves the principle of Sabbath because of what it does for us. But what I've learned is you have to be intentional. You have to prepare and plan for it. Even like cooking all your food beforehand so you can just eat leftovers and use paper plates and all that. So you have to do dishes. All things like that, it's like we love to do because it just helps the Sabbath be even more Restful. So here's what Sabbath is. It is meant for you and I to experience rest and enjoyment with God. It's a Sabbath. How many of you would say that sounds like a good day? Rest and enjoy God. Like all day long. That's all you got to do. Nothing else. Just rest and enjoy God. That is a good day. Sabbath is a good thing for us. Read another definition that Sabbath is imitating God so we stop trying to be God. Because God rested. 
Mark Buchanan wrote a book called The Rest of God. It's a great book. He said, Sabbath is a day and an attitude. It's a day to cease from that which is necessary and to embrace that which gives life. (laughs) So work hard six days. Do all those things you ought to do. And then on that seventh day, rest and don't do anything you ought to do. Just do things that fill you up. Our list of to-do is overwhelming. I got to get this done. I got to do this. I got to do this. Okay. And so, hey, do that for six days and then don't for one day. And just rest and don't worry about all that stuff that have to get done. And it feels good to do, uh, to do a Sabbath. So you're, just, you're stopping from work and letting go. And, and really what you're doing is you're just enjoying life and you're enjoying the presence of God. That's what you want to do. Okay, do things that fill you up. You want to be careful that you don't go into like selfish mode. And it's like, this is all about me now. Because that we can do that. Like there's this popular term called me day. You've heard of, heard of me days? I just need a me day. You've been working so hard, you deserve a me day. Okay, Sabbath is not a me day, to say you know, okay? Because here's the deal, a me day, I, and I get the principle of it, it's good. Like take a day off of work, that's great. And if a me day is I'm taking care of my responsibilities and then I have a Sabbath, great, but it's not a Sabbath. Because a me day is centered on me. I got enough of me. I don't need more of me. I need more of him. That's what I need. And so Sabbath helps me. It reorientates my life and my heart so I can make sure that I focus on him and enjoy him. Sabbath is about him, not me. And so it's not a, a, a me day. I just want to make sure that I'm clear about that. You know, but what you do on a, on a Sabbath is things that you enjoy, and maybe you enjoy TV. And if that's the case, then be, just be careful, because prolonged TV increases anxiety. Studies, studies prove it. And so even I, during basketball season, have to be careful how much TV I would watch on a Sabbath day, even though basketball is just good for the soul. Right? <laughs> so... Sabbath is meant to really save us from ourselves. That's what it is. Not to feed our selfishness. It has the power to break, uh, break our selfishness. We really break out of the prison of our selfishness and this thing called workaholism. Uh, we tend to want to just do our own thing, go our own way and do all that. But Sabbath helps keep Jesus at the center of our lives. Remember, we're not just fighting for a good life. We're fighting for a good soul. That's the goal. I want a good soul, and, and, and this is a soul day, is what this is, where Jesus brings rest to your soul. So a good Sabbath would include these types of things. It includes worship, it includes scripture, it includes play and rest. What I love about Sabbath is I can just, if, I, if I'm falling asleep, I don't even fight it. I'm out. And sometimes what we need is a good nap, right? And sometimes I've taken a couple of naps on Sabbath, and I just don't even fight it. It's it's great. Uh, Rest, prayer, reflection, recreation, food, eat some good food, family and friends. All of those things can be included in a good Sabbath. You just let the Spirit lead and do what is is good and right and, and, and seems to be right between you and the Holy Spirit on a Sabbath and just... Enjoy life in God. That's Sabbath. And some people are like, okay, why should we do this? What's the point? Uh, because here's what we're doing, guys. We're trying to make sure we live a life that's not centered on us, but centered on Jesus. 
want to live a Jesus-centered life. Hey, if we're going to have a Jesus-centered church, it starts with us living it out, right? Like individually, a Jesus-centered group of people make a Jesus-centered church. So um, it's, it's saving us from ourselves. This practice takes us deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Here at Rivers Church, we've defined what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just to kind of be simple and articulate. Here's a Christian. A Christian is someone who is committed to following Jesus. They're being changed by Jesus. They're led by the spirit of Jesus, and they're living on the mission of Jesus. So that's the comprehensive description of what it means to follow Jesus. But here's what you'll learn. You and I cannot be changed by Jesus if we don't stop and be with him. That's why I love moments like this, like coming to church. This is a practice. It's a habit. It's a discipline where we can just stop. We can just be with him and let him speak to us and change us and transform us from the inside out. All the change and the transformation that Jesus brings is worth it. It is good. And the end is always going to be freedom and joy and peace and rest for your soul. And that's what we need. So Sabbath just creates room. All these practices create room for Jesus to have his way in our life. And so we come to our scripture today. Psalm 62. David declared this. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. On how often does your soul find rest in God? You know, that can happen at any moment of any day. All you got to do is stop. Just be with him. So David says, this is where I find rest in God. He didn't find rest in his circumstances. Like when David wrote this song, he was in a tough, tough season of life. He just lost the throne to his own son. His son hates him, wants to kill him, is trying to kill him. David's running for his life, and his son has taken the throne for himself. And then David pens these words. You can see that David knows God truly as his rock, as his fortress, as his salvation. And he is finding those things, and he's finding rest from God, not from his circumstance, obviously, and not even from his friends. He's running to to God. So what if you took a day for your soul to find rest in him? Again, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We live in a world that, guys, we're just, we're physically sick because of all the anxiety that's going on. Some of you, you feel it. We see it all around us. We'll talk more about anxiety next week. Be thinking and praying about who can I bring next week that could be encouraged by Jesus with a message on stress and anxiety. But we need more uh, uh, rest for our soul in our life. We need more of God in order to experience that. And we need to really do what David did. And I love how David declares this. This is where I find rest in God. And then you move on to verse five and six, and he's moving from this is what I do to like telling himself, like, you got to do it again, David. So he says in verse five, find rest, O my soul, 
in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. So David has moved into encouraging himself. He's like, do again what you did before, David. And that's what we want to do as we do these practices. We're reminding ourselves, do it again because that was good for you. Do again what you did before so you can find a rest in God. And then David shifts from personal exhortation to uh, really exhorting all of us. It's like public exhortation. In verse 8, he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your heart to him. Run to him. Find refuge in him and find rest in him. He is safe. So think about this. Does my current lifestyle and habits allow me to find rest in him? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.